It is well, it is well with my soul. You know, we can make that declaration, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done in and through and to us. It's well with my soul, not because I'm such a good person or I've earned the right attention from God, but it's well with my soul because Jesus has paid the price for all of my shortcomings, my failings, and I stand before him today redeemed, purchased by his blood, and it's well with my soul. And that's why it doesn't matter what kind of problems or difficulties rage around me, it's still good with my soul because I know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds my life in the very palm of his hand, and it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Would you just today, before we even start to look at the scripture, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's well with your soul as well. And, and, and even if lately you've been feeling like there's things amiss, that it's not, you know, you're, you're feeling maybe uh, a little down, realize that it's still well with your soul. God has you positioned before him in a place of, of love and of, of righteousness that was purchased by Jesus on your behalf. So would you just receive his grace today and stand in his goodness today? And as we look at his word today, would you receive that grace from him to be able to stand up under difficult circumstances and, and champion his goodness to those that you come in contact with? Because it is well with your soul. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, today for your presence in this place. And thank you, Lord, that, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is going forth even through the airwaves today to those who are gathered in front of their phone or their television watching today on YouTube. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to bring your word and your truth and your life into people's lives today. And we ask for your grace to rest on all the rest of the service today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Rebecca, nice job there. Way to stretch the chops and uh, give it some uh, power there this morning. Hallelujah. Well, it's a good day, isn't it? Amen. Yes, Praise the Lord. We've got so many cameras, I don't know where to look, so I'm just going to kind of look straight ahead. <laughs> I'll pretend Barry is the entire audience. Hey, hey Barry, how are you doing, man? Man, you know, you, if you wanted an amen corner, you aren't going to get one much better than that right there. So that's, that's probably pretty good. Hallelujah. Wow. Well, I do have one announcement that I need to make that wasn't on the beginning of the service. Uh, we're going to be rolling the announcements at the beginning so as not to interrupt the worship flow. So uh, we encourage you to, sh uh, to tune in on time, and those will be rolling before the worship begins in the morning. And uh, one announcement, though, that wasn't in there is that corporate prayer is this Tuesday. And of course, because of our present restrictions in our region. Uh, we will not be gathering in person for that corporate prayer, but it will be done by Zoom, and Barry will uh, send out the link uh, this week, uh, probably on Monday, right, Barry, tomorrow? Yeah. For that? Yeah, you can call into the office if you like it or just contact Barry if you'd like that uh, link sent to you, and then we'll get it out to you so that you can join us in prayer on Tuesday night. Well, you know, God is good, isn't he? As we said earlier this morning, and Barry commented on in, in prayer this morning, this is the day the Lord has made, 
And I will rejoice, right? I will rejoice and be glad in this day, be glad in him who has given me this day. You know, today is a great day because we begin to uncork the value of honor here at Desert Stream. And uh, honor is one of uh, my favorite topics, and I'm looking forward to talking about this over the next while. Uh, But, you know, uh, next Sunday, are you ready for this? Everybody say next Sunday. Sunday. What is next Sunday? It's Mother's Day. So if you want to walk in honor, make sure you honor the one that gave birth to you tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday, I should say. Uh, Next Sunday, make sure you honor your mother. Are you hearing me, YouTube land? Make sure you honor mom uh, next week. We're going to have a special service here uh, for Mother's Day, and we're going to be hearing from the mothers of the house, and it's going to be a great day as they share some uh, of their journey and as they share about the message of hope in the midst of our season that we're in. So we're looking forward to that. You don't want to miss it. And Pastor Mark's made a special video for next Sunday for Mother's Day that you won't want to miss either. And so it's going to be a great day as we celebrate and honor our mothers on Mother's Day. Well, uh, this is, I said, the month of honor. And, and I want to just go back a little bit in history, how we got to where we are today, where honor is something that's so important to us, to me and to this house, uh, is one of our 12 core values. In 2009 and 2010, I read two books about honor. In 2009, I read uh, John Bevere's book, Honor's Reward. And then in 2010, I read Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. And uh, if you know those two gentlemen, they both are uh, profound guys, uh, have written a number of different books. And uh, in 2009, I read uh, Honor's Reward, and then in 2010, while I was in Haiti, actually, I read Danny Silk's book right after the earthquake down there, and, uh, and, and really enjoyed that. And both of those books do a great job in uh, outlining the deficiency of honor in our culture today, how that we literally... Uh, and you don't have to look very far to see that nowadays. Just, just go online and go into any social media network, and people are just constantly tearing other people down. Uh, honor is not something that we seem to on, understand at all. And uh, whether you disagree with somebody or not, uh, you know, the, the privilege of being able to communicate and to show honor to one another is something that God has given to each and every one of us. And our, our society has, is deeply lacking in that today. And both uh, the books championed the need to restore a culture of honor in our society today. And they both cast an incredible case from Scripture of how uh, living a life of honor will change your relationships and impact your world. But I got to say, Danny Silk's book, however, had one added element, and that was the element of reinforcing the role of honor in building a church culture that would literally enable the body of Christ to be everything that it could be to reach its fullest potential. That we as individuals reach our fullest potential when the body of Christ walks and lives in honor. And so if we're going to truly function as the people of God, then we need to get this value down and uh, we need to understand exactly what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about honor. Amen? So what is honor? Well, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, these are some of the definitions you would find. Honor is high regard or respect. Honor is fame, renown, or glory. It is a cause of pride or esteem, an honor to be chosen for an award, for example. It is a sense of what is right and just, integrity to act with honor. 
It's a reputation for being just, good, or fair. In other words, the person is an honorable character. It is high rank or dignity. It is recognition given to a student for outstanding scholarship. It's privilege, as in, may I have this, uh, the honor of this dance? It's privilege. You know, now what do all these definitions have in common? In each one of these definitions, there is the element of esteeming others higher than yourself or of being esteemed above others by someone else. You see, the, the idea of honor is about elevating other people above yourself. That is essentially the foundational concept of honor. As Barry said at the beginning of the service, uh, my spiritual father, Ken Gill, he likes to say it this way. He says, honor is love expressed in public or publicly. So in other words, when we stand someplace where we've got the microphone or we've got the floor in a conversation even with a few people, and we speak uh, lovingly and we speak honorably about somebody else, that is the communication of honor. That's the environment where honor is built. And dishonor is when we have any kind of a platform, whether it's social media or a conversation with a few friends, and we speak negatively about somebody. When we do that, we are dishonoring that individual's life. We are walking in a culture of dishonor. When we publicly express that genuine affection for somebody, we honor them. And that is one of the most powerful ways that we can live our lives is by honoring other people. Now, why is honor so important? Why should I give honor, the kind of honor that I'm describing here this morning, why should I give that to other people? You know, and should I give it to people I really don't know that well? Or should I give it to people who haven't earned it? Why should I give that kind of honor to the individuals that we meet? In fact, our core value when we talk about honor says everyone has value. That's our, our, our statement about it. Everyone has value. So, you know, do I need to honor everybody that I meet? Well, let me show you what the Scripture has to say about this. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, and you check out Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. This is what you read. And I'm reading, I think this is from the NIV, this, this passage. It says this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. Now, the most fundamental reason we at Deadstream wish to establish the foundation of honor is because we've been chosen, uh, we have chosen, I should say, to look at people the way God looks at them. God declares that everyone has value. You know, to grasp the significance of this passage, we need to read it from the New American Standard Version. So if you read it from the New American Standard, it makes one significant change in that passage, and I want to read it to you again. It says, what is man that you take thought of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. It doesn't say lower than the angels. It says lower than God. Now, some scholars would say, oh, I think all scholars would agree that this is a better translation. They would all agree on that. Because the word that was translated angels, say in the NIV, uh, in, or in the King James, is actually Elohim. And that word is the plural of, uh, name of God, of El. El is a singular. Elohim is the plural. And, uh, you know, it's the most common name for God used in the Scripture. 
And uh, it's used in all the compound names of God, for example, El Shaddai, uh, El Rophe. These, the word El is the most common used name for God, and Elohim is a derivative of that. So to, to call him, uh, you know, to translate that verse angels seems kind of odd. And you see what the verse is actually saying is not that God made man a little lower than the angels, which would be wrong anyway, because some translations have put it that way, because, but that rather he made man a little lower than God. Now, you could say the interpretation of the Scripture is that the verse is actually talking just about the Messiah, and I agree. That is certainly a way you could look at it because it says the Son of Man. But again, angels is a bad translation because at no point, at no point, everybody say no point, was Jesus ever made lower than the angels? Hello? And since we have been brought into and grafted into the divine family, we stand with Jesus as co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ, and we have been given the position with Christ, are you hearing me this morning, where we too are not made below the angels at all. My goodness. Are you hearing me this morning? In fact, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, uh, chapter 1, I should say, verse 14, it says this, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve, everybody say serve, those who will inherit salvation? Who's that? You and me. The angels have actually been sent to serve us. We're not below them. They have been sent to serve us. Are you hearing me? So when the scripture says that whether you believe this is just can only be applied to the Messiah or whether you believe it's an extended to mankind uh, in, in its entirety, it's teaching us still that we have been positioned just below God above the angels. Are you hearing me this morning? This is a profound truth for us to recognize that when we are transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become a new creation, the Bible says. The old has passed away. All things have become new. As C.S. Lewis said, the Son of Man, or God, I should say, became a man so that, the, so that man could become sons of God. Let me say that again. The Son of God became a man so that men, that's men and women, could become sons of God. You see, the redemption power of Jesus Christ does not just redeem uh, an element of your life. It totally created a new type of creature that had never existed before the foundations of man. That when we are born again and given resurrection life, we are transformed people. Everything is new. And now, as his uh, spirit-infused uh, people, we walk with a, an authority, that is just, it's like we're right up there with Jesus Christ. The Bible says, in fact, that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to who? To us, the sons of men. That, that we are, 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 uh, have a command from the Lord, going all the way back to Genesis, we have a command from the Lord that this environment, this place called earth, this suburb of glory, if you will, we have been given the power to exercise dominion and authority in this realm. That is who we are. And I think the bottom line is why there's an incredible lack of honor in our culture today is because we've lost sight of the significance of mankind. That we treat other people and our relationships as disposable because we do not see that that person that we're talking to is made in the image of Almighty God. 
And how much more, when we're talking about the body of Christ, they're a redeemed individual made in the image of God. They're certainly worthy of honor. Danny Silk notes, he says, honor has fallen on hard times in our culture. Independence is worshiped. We focus on our private relationships with God and have a hard time recognizing spiritual authority and considering others as more important than ourselves. Wow. So true. Bill Johnson, uh, he puts it this way. He says, every person that you encounter is one Christ is honored in his life, death, and resurrection. Every person you encounter. It doesn't matter who they are. Our first disposition should be to honor that person because Christ paid the price for their life in his own death and resurrection. In other words, every person we meet, whether friend, foe, relative, or somebody, a stranger that you've never met before, we start from a posture of honor to that person's life. We esteem them as better than ourselves. So now how do we build this culture of honor in, our, in the church and in society once again? Well, Bill Johnson wrote in the foreword to Danny Silk's book, Culture of Honor, and this is what he said. He said, many people live in atmospheres void of honor and desperately seek out help in creating such a culture. Pastors often ask us to come and teach their church and staff how to show honor. The need is real. The desire is genuine. But this culture is never built around what I need. It is built around what I can give. It's never built around what I need. It is built around what I can give. And if I don't learn to give honor to those who deserve it the least, I will continue to live in an environment without honor. Wow. So if we want to advance a culture of honor, our focus must not be on what honors we believe should be coming our way, but our focus needs to be on what honor I'm being called by God to give to others. May I say that again? Our focus should not be on what honors we believe should be coming our way, but it should be on what honors God is calling us to give to others. There's a great story in the Bible that illustrates this, and I'm going to walk you through the story this morning, and it's such an incredible story. If you've never read it before, it's found in the book of Esther, and it is a beautiful story of uh, a revelation, if you will, of what happens when you walk in honor and what happens when you don't walk in honor. So here's the story. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, but you remember a guy named Haman? He's in the story. He figures prominently in the story of Esther. And Haman was the man that King Xerxes made the most powerful person in the empire after himself. He was the king's right-hand man. And you read in the book of Esther how Haman became very proud of his appointment by the king. And he was, we would say in our common vernacular, uh, Haman was quite full of himself. Have you ever met anybody that way? That was Haman. All right. Haman enjoyed that everyone in the kingdom bowed to him when he walked by, and he was severely put out that one man, a guy named Mordecai, did not bow to Haman when Haman walked by. Didn't show him the respect that he thought he deserved, because he was focused on what honors should be coming to him. Remember that. And the Bible says in Esther chapter 3, verse 5, that Haman, as a result of this, was filled with rage. 
In fact, Haman was so enraged that he wanted to punish Mordecai and all of his people, the Israelites. So he cast lots and he decided on a month for their demise. And then he approached the king, telling him that there was a people in his kingdom that did not bow to his laws and decrees and that they should be eliminated from the kingdom. He told the king that a decree should be issued that in one year's time, he would uh, give the subjects of the kingdom the authority to rise up and kill all of the Jewish neighbors and take their property without recourse. The king listened to Haman and he thought to himself, okay, so if there's a group of people that are that rebellious, he's listening to Haman's report, then um, okay, I guess we'll, uh, we'll do that. And he passed the decree. But neither Haman nor the king knew that the king's new bride, Esther, was indeed a Jew. Didn't know that. And that Esther's uncle was actually the man, Mordecai, that had enraged Haman in the first place. And so Esther and Mordecai got together, and they, had, they came up with an idea on which to save their people. They were sure that Haman's pride would be his undoing. So Esther prepared a meal for the king and for Haman, and then she revealed to the king her true identity. Hopefully, that they thought that would spare their lives. In the meantime, Haman had decided that he would take Mordecai's uh, subordination uh, no more. And so at the advice of his friends and his wife, he had a 75-foot gallows built on which he was going to hang Mordecai for his insubordination. That very night, the Holy Spirit, though, before this dinner, the night before the dinner, the Holy Spirit spoke to the king, and he couldn't rest. And he called for his royal records keeper, and he, he uh, said to them, this gentleman, uh, Mordecai, who saved my life many, many years ago, saved me from an assassination attempt, he said, what was ever done for him? And they said, well, nothing, my king. Nothing was ever done for him. So the king thought, well, this isn't good. So about that time in the morning, Haman showed up. And so the king says to Haman, and this is where the story gets so, so awesome. He says to Haman, he goes, you know, what should I do for somebody that I want to honor? Right? What should I do for somebody that I want to honor? Well, Haman could think of nobody. He was so full of himself, he could think of no one that the king would want to honor more than himself. So he said, well, king, you should bring up one of your royal robes and your own horse and instruct one of your most noble princes to lead him through the city, saying to all, this is what happens to those the king wishes to honor. The king thought, that's an excellent idea, Haman. I think that's a brilliant idea. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to find the man Mordecai, and I want you to lead him through the city with my robe on his back, sitting on my mule or horse, and I want you to tell everybody this is what the king does to those he wishes to honor. <laughs> oh, man, isn't that great? Haman was humiliated. While he was still whining to his wife and friends, the king's escort showed up to take him to dinner with the king, the dinner that Esther and Mordecai had planned. And during the dinner, the king asked Esther uh, what her desire was. She wanted her people to be spared. And she said, there's an edict been given to destroy my people. And the king said, well, who would give such an edict? And she said, well, you did. What? And then he remembered the edict that Haman had convinced him to give. And uh, so anyway, he was outraged. And he was outraged at Haman for plotting against Esther's people. So the king jumped up in rage, and he went out into his garden uh, when he found this out. And Haman knows his goose is cooked, man. So he falls down on his face before the queen, and he's holding out her robes and her ankles when the king comes back in and catches him in this compromising position. Oh, my word. And then he says, would, would, would you assault the king's queen right in his presence? 
And guess what? Haman was hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. <laughs> I love it. You see, this story shows us what happens when you fail to recognize that a people, in this case, an entire race of people, are worthy of honor, even if you disagree with them. Even if you don't understand them, they're still worthy of honor because they've been made in the image of God. If our culture could get a hold of that, if we could recognize that every person we meet, every individual we meet, is worthy of honor because they're made in the image of God, there'd be no need for Black Lives Matter. There'd be no need for Asian Month on television or in our media. There'd be no need for, uh, you know, having groups to protect this population or that population. There'd be no more war. There'd be no more violent acts against one another. If we recognize that every person we meet, every person we meet is made in the image of Almighty God, we would treat every person as someone who's carefully crafted by the king. And we would give to them the honor that they deserve. Because when we're honoring them, we're honoring the king who made them. Haman needed the words of American author Mark Twain. Mark Twain usually had the ability to say things in such a profoundly simple way. And he said this, it's better to deserve honors and not have them than to have them and not deserve them. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's better to deserve honors and not have them than to have them and not deserve them. You know, as we go through this month, this month of honor, and we focus on what honor we can give to other people. We need to realize how if we will live from that foundation of asking myself, what honors can I give to others rather than worrying about what honors need to be coming to me, it will profoundly change the dynamics of the body of Christ. And we need to do this because it's only in that culture of honor that we provide a place of safety for those in the body of Christ. Now you say, how does that provide a safe place? Well, it's interesting. When we build a culture of honor, it is the environment of honor where people are safe enough to explore who they are. You see, if, if you start from a posture of honoring those around you, honoring from the least to the greatest, honoring them all, then that person who comes in with humble beginnings, maybe not familiar with what their gift is or their abilities are yet, and they already feel loved and honored and accepted and, and, and cherished in the body of Christ, it's going to give them the courage. It's going to provide a safe place for them to step out and express the gift of who they are to the body of Christ. Do you see how that works? It's only in that culture of honor that the person feels safe to walk in their gift. Danny Silk worded it this way. He said, accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Honor is that core value that creates that safe environment where the body of Christ can grow up into its full potential. 
You know, if people don't feel honored, if people feel constantly beat down and, 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 and bruised and, and devalued, they're never going to step out boldly into who they are. They're never going to take the precious things that God has given them and lay them at the feet of the body of Christ if they think that they're only going to be trampled on when they do so. No. If we create a culture of honor where the person and their, their, their being and their gifting and their, uh, the things that God made special in them are honored, then they're going to have an ability to exercise those gifts in the body of Christ. And the beautiful thing is that when they exercise their gift, we all benefit. We all are made better when every person is able to express who they are in the body of Christ. When the environment is such a place of security and safety that we can all live out who we are, everyone benefits because everyone is contributing. Amen? This is the core value that's at work in the fivefold leadership of the church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. But if there's no culture of honor, then what happens is th those five gifts start working in competition rather than in concert. And what happens is that the body of Christ is robbed of one gift or another, and therefore, everyone loses. But when those gifts honor one another, everyone wins. When you don't have one gift lording it over the other gift, then everybody wins because the full expression of those gifts, which are, by the way, the full expressions of Christ, are experienced in the body. Because Jesus is the ultimate apostle. Jesus is the great prophet. Jesus is the best teacher. Jesus is the ultimate evangelist sharing the good news. And Jesus is the great shepherd, pastor of our life. He is a fulfillment of all five of those. And when we, when we eliminate one of them, when we marginalize one of them, we marginalize a part of the personhood of Jesus Christ. But when we allow them all to be expressed in the body, then the church benefits from those gifts and everyone wins. Everyone wins. That's what causes freedom to uh, literally be experienced in the body of Christ. We unshackle people when we allow them to be who God has made them to be. And when they have that liberty, when they have that freedom, they can grow into all of their potential in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. Free people cannot live together without honor. And conversely, honor can only be used successfully amongst powerful people who have a true sense of their personal responsibility and preserving the freedom in others around them. So when we create this culture of honor, freedom is the gift that we, we get, and it is also that cherished commodity we have to exercise with one another. As soon as we start taking away freedom, somebody gets handcuffed. As soon as we, we, we begin to restrict people, we lose something that could be contributed to the body of Christ, and everybody loses. But if we allow people the liberty to be who God's called them to be in the body of Christ, everybody wins. See, Paul understood this principle. And in the book of Galatians, he tackles the problem of how to live as free people who live by grace and not under law. And Paul acknowledges that the danger of grace, the potential is, and it exists, that free people would indulge their sinful natures rather than their potential in Christ. But it's the only way that we can thrive. Paul writes in Galatians 5.13, he said, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather... Honor one another in love. You see how it all comes around? Honor. 
Yes, we've been made. The Bible says, and Barry and I think we were talking about this scripture this past week. Everything, the Bible says, Paul says it twice in scripture. He says, everything is permissible to me. But not everything is beneficial. And then in one of those two passages, he adds this phrase. He says, I will not be mastered by anything. So I look at this life and, you know, everything's permissible to me. In other words, you know, uh, sexual activity is permissible to me. But God has a plan for it. And how, what is that plan? It's in the context of my relationship with my wife. And I, I'm not to be mastered by it, but it's there to minister to me and to my wife. Same thing with food and drink and all of these things. We're not to be mastered by anything, but God says, I gave it all to you as a gift. I gave it all to you as a gift. But don't allow any one of those things to, to take control over your life. Instead, they've been given to you as a gift. And if we'll understand that, that liberty in Christ, then freedom really is ours. And literally, free people are only the people who know how to live with the responsibility that's been given. If you think about it, what is a slave? A slave is somebody who has been, had the primary responsibility for their life taken away. Think about that for a minute. They're not allowed to direct their own family. They're not allowed to direct their own uh, career. They're not allowed to direct where their pathway is going to go, where they live, what they're going to do. Responsibility for their life has been taken away. And one of the problems with fixing social problems by just throwing money at it is that we absolve people of responsibility. And when we absolve them of responsibility, we take away their freedom. We re reduce them to being somebody who's dependent on somebody else. And God wants you to have a liberty and a freedom where you're able to develop a relationship with him, where your dependency is on him, and you're there to love and to serve one another rather than to be mastered by one another. Does that make any sense to anybody? Am I, am I talking Greek here, or do you understand what I'm saying today? That's the environment that God causes honor to walk in and to exercise in and to be fulfilled in. If we truly love one another, then we're going to honor one another and in freedom and liberty, we're going to empower others to be everything that they can be for God. Amen? Now, one of the things I wanted to do as I close out this message this morning is I, over the, the, the course of the month when I'm speaking, I wanted to take some time to honor those who have lived this out in my life and invested in my wife and I and our family. And I wanted to just honor those people today. I want to actually practice exactly what I'm talking about here and take advantage of the fact that I've got the mini talking stick here today attached to my ear so that I can actually honor those over the next number of weeks that have blessed and, and ministered to me and to my family. And the first person that I wanted to honor today is Ken Gill. Ken Gill, to our house is no stranger. Uh, Ken came to our, our church uh, 26 years ago in our first year. And uh, he called me up. I didn't really know him. I sat under his teaching at a couple conferences and things like that. At the time, Ken was pastoring a, one of the largest churches in Calgary. And he, he called me up and, and Ken said, Kevin, can, is there any way that I, I, we, we get together for a coffee? I'd like to chat with you. I'd like to encourage you in any way that I can. I'd like to be a, a blessing in any way that I can. And I'm like, uh, Sure. Now, the thing you have to understand is that at one time in his ministry, a number of years previously, Ken had pastored 
at our mother church, Calvary, uh, here in the city. And so he had lots of friends and lots of relationships and lots of connections there. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, why does he want to talk to me? You know, he's got people there that he could, he could be connected with and encouraging. But as I sat down with him, he, he said how God had just put it in his heart that he wanted to be a blessing to church planters and to people who were, you know, stepping out. And he said, so I just want to be an encouragement any way that I can. He said, is there any way I can serve you? I'm thinking, well, well I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to ask for the big ask. I'm like, do you, well, do you, want to, do you want to speak? I'd be honored to. Really? Uh, we have a congregation of like 75. You want to speak at, at our, why wouldn't you want to speak at other churches in this area, all of which would have taken him, you know, to hundreds of people. And he said, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. And so, so began a relationship uh, 26 years ago where uh, he just continually at different points in our lives invested and invested and invested. And not just in Sherry and I, but in our extended family in this house. And one of the things I want to honor about Ken is that if you know Ken Gill, you know that Ken remembers just about everybody's name. You ever notice that about him? And, uh, and not only will he remember their name, but he remembers details about those people's lives. And so Ken will come in here and, and uh, start talking with Barry and start asking about his kids and about, you know, his wife and maybe if there's a little blueberry flan coming, you know, in the midst of all this, uh, you know. Uh, and then if he sees, you know, Mark, he'd ask Mark about, you know, his family and all that. He, he knows so much about people. And, and you know, one day uh, I thought to myself, why does he, how does he do this? He has, there's a, some supernatural gift that he has. And then the Holy Spirit said, he's able to do it because he actually cares. I was like, ooh. Does that mean I can't remember sometimes because, frankly, I don't care enough? And the Holy Spirit was like, yes. He remembers because he actually cares. I'm like, ow, that really hurt, Lord. Could you have been a little more gentle? You know? <laughs> but Ken actually cares. And, you know, he, he, he's remembered so many details of so many people's lives because he's vested in them. He actually genuinely cares. I want to just say today in this place that, Ken, we love you. Uh, as he's at home right now, uh, he hasn't been able to travel the last few weeks, not only because of restrictions, but because his, his family came down with COVID. Uh, and so Ken's been recuperating at home. And we just want you to know, Ken, that we love you. My wife and I love you. We, we honor you today. We bless you. We want to thank you for all the investment you've made in our lives, and we just want to thank you for being an example to people of what it is to speak into other people's lives, to remember details about their lives, to honor them, and to cherish them uh, higher and better than yourself. And we want to bless you for that. Thank you. We've learned from you that honor is love expressed in public, and we want you to know that we love you today. Amen. Could I encourage you today when you go to this place? Don't be fake about it. Don't do it just because it's an exercise. Do it because it's meaningful. Do it because it's something that should be done, not just something that could be done. But do it as something that should be done. Would you leave this place today, and would you find uh, this week, you know, one or two people that have impacted your life, that, that you know that, that you, they deserve to hear from you in regard to that? And could you just love on them? Maybe you could just go pick something up 
uh, you know, and drop it off at their home with a note or a card. Maybe you could uh, spend some time or call them up or however you need to go about it. I realize it's a little more difficult during COVID restrictions, but could you reach out and honor somebody uh, for what they have done and meant in your life? And if you've got a platform to do it publicly, if you can out, shout it out on social media, if, you can, if you've got the talking stick somewhere, by all means, do so and speak out uh, about the impact they've made on your life. And then finally, could I also encourage you to express honor even to those you don't know. One of the thing, beautiful things in the midst of this COVID situation we're in is that we get an opportunity to be a blessing every day. We get to be a blessing when we're in lineups that we can't stand. We get to be a blessing when we're behind masks that are driving us crazy and we're, we're you know, finding so much of our normal life hindered. We have an opportunity to let his light shine through us. And we do that by honoring that person across the counter from us. We do it by honoring the person behind us or before us in the line at the checkout. We do it by having an extra grace and an extra measure of love and affection for those around about us. Remembering that every person, even that person who may be wound a little too tightly in front of you, who's like, could you just back up, please? You go, sure, sorry about that. And you back up. Could we just remember that honor is that environment that if we'll let it be cultivated, it will produce a great fruit in people's lives. Let's take a moment to honor people because every person that we encounter is someone that Christ honored with his life, his death, and his resurrection. Amen? So as we talk about honor this month, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be good. There's going to be so much for us to learn, uh, I think, in this process, and I'm looking forward to communicating it with you. Thank you for letting us into your homes and into your hearts today. We are so grateful for the privilege. We never, never take it lightly or for, uh, for granted. I believe today, Pastor Mark, you're going to be online with people afterwards. So you'll find below the video, you find a link. If you click on that, there's a Zoom conference time together. If you would like prayer, if you'd like to just talk about the message, if you'd like to, you know, just give a shout out to somebody that you want to honor somebody, Pastor Mark's going to be there for you afterwards. And he would love to have you join him. He'd love to have a Zoom room full of people uh, that are just connecting with us today after this message. Amen? I'm going to ask the like five people in the room here who are working cameras and stuff just to stand with me today. And we're going to close and honor the Lord Jesus Christ in our closing today in the service. Father, we are so thankful that you have loved us so much that you gave your son. And he uh, gave his life upon the cross willfully. And that every person we meet is somebody that he lived, died, and was resurrected on behalf of. And so today, convinced of that truth and that revelation, that you have created each and every one of us so that you could pour out your love upon us, that your son could redeem us and that we could be united with you for eternity. Father, I pray that, God, you would give us that kind of a lens as we go about our daily business. Father, we would live out and express this culture of honor everywhere we go, and that at the end of the day, you would be glorified. You would be honored. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Don't forget, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Don't forget to honor your moms and join here with us as we have a special service of honor for mothers here on Mother's Day next Sunday. God bless